0: but not for much longer. And I can't wait to hang out with you at camp this summer and share all those juicy pet boss stories around the campfire. One of the most common, but not necessarily popular, challenges that we hear within the community of business owners is around employee training, engagement, and follow-through. And if we could create multiple versions of ourselves, I sure know that we would, but that is just not the reality that we live in. So I want you to understand why your employees may be struggling with following your policies or remembering what their job responsibilities actually are and keeping up with that workload that you so desperately need help with. But most importantly, in today's episode, I want you to discover the number one thing likely disrupting your team's success. And hint, it starts with the letter A. My guest is a longtime Pet Boss Club member and an official all star, supporting our clients as a trusted leader in the community. And I can't wait for you to meet Elisa Slay, who is the owner and founder of Camp Dogwood, an overnight camp for people with their dogs. But she just so happens to also have her doctorate in clinical psychology, which is one of the big reasons that I wanted to bring her on today to share some strategies with you when it comes to understanding the people who make your pet business work. Welcome to the boss, your business podcast, the show for the local pet business owner. If you have a physical building, carry inventory, have a team or dream of having one someday, then this podcast is for you. You'll hear honest conversations from pet pros work in the streets of Main Street, where dog business is big business. I'm your show host, Candace Daniolo, the founder of Pet Boss Nation and a pet business coach. I've started, scaled and sold three successful pet businesses and now help mentor thousands of pet professionals to see success faster together. I'm sharing my favorite business tips with you mixed with the latest secrets of what's working now, especially in this challenging world. So if you're a pet supply store, grooming salon, dog daycare, boarding facility, pet sitter, dog trainer, or really anyone covered in fur, Let's get started. So today with me, I have a special guest. I'm going to call her by her formal name because I don't think I've had a chance to do this yet, but Dr. (laughs) Lisa Slay, welcome to the Boss Your Business podcast. Hey there. I'm so happy to be here today. I'm excited because you've been a friend as well as a Pet Boss Club member now for five years. We've gotten to know each other over those five years. We've even had a chance to have a special event, you know, Pet Boss Nation had our own Camp Pet Boss, and it was all inspired because of your experience in the pet industry and what you do at Camp Dogwood as the owner and the director. I wanted to bring you on today to this podcast, not just to talk about your pet business, but to really go into some of the psychology behind why our employees or maybe even co-workers or business partners, why us as human beings on this planet act and behave in a certain way at our jobs and um, some of the frustrations that that might cause employers. So we're going to dive into a lot today with you, but I want you now to tell us a little bit about the two sides of Elisa. We've got Dr. Elisa, the psychologist. Then we have Dr. sense <laughs> of the, the camping with your dog world and fun events at Camp Dogwood. So tell us a little bit about those two sides of yourself. Well, Dr. Elisa, the psychologist, I am a clinical psychologist. I have my
1: doctorate in clinical psychology, and I've, I, I started out specializing in Children and adolescents. As time has gone on, I definitely do things for adults now, but I still consider children and adolescents to be my area of specialization. I've been a licensed clinical psychologist for a long time, over 25 years, probably close to 30 years now. And as a psychologist, I've worked in pretty much every setting. Um, I've worked in psychiatric hospitals, outpatient community mental health, foster care, group homes. Right now, my current position that I've been at for 27 years, I'm the Senior Director of Outpatient Behavioral Health for a large social service agency in the Chicagoland area, and I'm also consultant to the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, and I've done that for over 20 years as well.
0: So that's a little bit about my life as a psychologist. Yes. And um, hey, I, let me just say thank you to you for the work that you do and the role that you've oh, played in you. so many lives, especially well, not just over the you know, 20 plus years that you've been doing this. To, I think you said 27, was it? <laughs> Something like that. I think close to 30, but yeah, a long time. Yeah. And I'm sure a long career like that, now then having to have gone through the pandemic and all of those new challenges that you've been faced, you probably in your career were like, hey, I've handled it all already. <laughs> And then this. Oh, I know. Yeah, nobody
1: (laughs) saw the nobody saw the pins at like
0: no. Yeah, and and then yeah, the results of it on mental health afterwards. So thank you for the work you're doing because you know you probably went through your own struggles to go through that and then having to hold that energy and space for all those people and be there for them. I just want to thank you for that. Thank you for the thank you. that doesn't. It means a lot.
1: But long before I knew I was going to be a psychologist, I was a camper. I was a summer camper. I as, starting when I was a child. And then by the time I was like a senior in high school, I started working at sleepaway camps, worked at sleepaway camps all through college and into graduate school.
0: Wow, I didn't realize that.
1: Oh yeah. Love it. I, I actually met my husband at sleepaway camp. He was a counselor in a unit that I no was way. over. Yeah. We didn't start dating then, but we became friends then. Yeah. We, yeah. Our, that's where our, our friendship started. And then even professionally, some point I did have to, grown up life made it where going to sleepaway away camp every summer was hard. But the, where I currently work, when they first hired me, one of my first assignments was to actually create a mental health consultation program to area summer camps and an overnight camp.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: I actually, in my role as a psychologist, then was going to the camps To help them with some of the kids that were struggling, Mm. so I loved, you know, obviously I couldn't couldn't spend all my days at camp, and I got my first dog, and I was living in Chicago, and one of my good friends at the time, you know, we loved being outdoors, we went camping together a lot, and we had heard that there was an we saw in the Chicago Tribune used to have a magazine in the middle of the Sunday paper called the Chicago Tribune Magazine. And there was an issue that was all about dogs. And I was reading it, whatever. And it talked about an overnight camp for people and their dogs. I didn't even know such a thing existed. So the person who I started camp with, he's no longer involved with camp, but back then he was one of the founders. We decided to take a road trip with our dogs and check it out. And we always joked that on the 20 plus hour drive home, Camp Dog was was born. Like the name, everything. And I mean, I think we started camp, I'm not kidding you, with $2,000. There was never, there were no loans, there was nothing. And there was no social media. People were like, kind of just starting to have a website. There was no Google. And everything that we did was, I don't know, I guess now just be considered old school. Like we Literally, literally hit the pavement in Chicago with our brochures. And we went into all of the pet stores, all of the pet boutiques, the groomers, the, the introduced ourselves, talked about camp. Some people thought we were crazy. We couldn't afford to do much advertising. So we did our press kit. Back then it was mail. You had to mail it. You had to mail your press kit. There was no emailing it. And then you had to follow up with a phone call. And that was really what camp up, we ended up getting picked up by so many different media outlets in our first few years, which brought a lot of national attention. And although we started camp, our first camp had maybe 40, 45 campers, mostly from the Chicagoland area. As time has gone on, we have camp camp people who come from all over the country. We've even had people who come from like British Columbia and Canada.
0: That's so cool. So I have some questions for you on all of this, but I would love for you to describe for our listeners what Camp Dogwood is like. So because if they've never been, they've never been to to your website, like paint that picture of the experience. Camp Dogwood is an
1: overnight camp for adults with their dogs. People have the option of either coming for four days and three nights, or there's an option to add a fifth day at the beginning for extended camp. We offer a lot of the dog sports, popular dog sports. So things like tracking, those work, barn hunts. We've offered fly ball, shed hunting, tri-ball. We do sheep herding, trick training. We have different classes on behavior training, things like that. People can take the CGC test while they're at camp. In addition to more, more coursing, lure coursing is one of mm-hmm. our popular, a, that's a popular one, right? Yeah, you know, it is very campy at night. We have campfires and we make s'mores. There's a beach, the camp is located on a lake. So we have a private beach where people can take their dogs swimming, as well as a lot of hiking trails and private like just roads within camp where people can walk their dogs. In addition to the sport activities, we also offer things like dog treat making, classes on pet massage, canine conditioning, things like the fit paws equipment that a lot of people have seen, arts and crafts, which we call pet projects. I teach, that's, I teach the craft classes. I mean, we just do a lot of social things. Sometimes we'll have wine tastings. At our fall camp, we've done things where we have the different camp instructors will be in different spots around camp and we had like a scavenger hunt where the dogs dress up in a costume and go trick-or-treating and they find the different staff members.
0: Yeah, you're so great. One of the things I love about the work that you do at Camp Dogwood too, is that you are so good at coming up with different activities, whether it's the games like that, like the scavenger hunt or Mm -hmm. the craft activities or ways for the human to really connect with their animal, like really build that bond you're so creative in that way. Oh, thank you. I yeah. can't have every camp be the same. Yeah. You can't keep painting rocks at every camp. <laughs> exactly.
1: Right. So I do have to, at every camp, at least have a few things that are new. People aren't coming back to camp dogwood, you know, to do agility. Like they don't, they're not going to remember the agility class they took at camp four years ago, but, but just like I did when I was a kid, they make friendships. They have their camp friends and that camp camaraderie. And they make the types of memories with other people and with their dogs that they really can't make anywhere
0: else. And I think that's what brings people back more than anything. And that's really an important lesson because I think that lends itself to any business, right? It's really people buy from people and it's about, you know, how you make people feel right. And, and those, the relationships will have. So not only the relationship with you and your business, but talking about that agility class or like, cause I know we've got dog trainers that listen to this podcast mm-hmm. They're having this class. It's not just about that class, but it's about elect- giving that space and that time for the people in that group class to get to know each other and. Creating a, I think it's creating a community. Yeah, so that is a great segue into what I want to talk to you about today. You are a member of the Pet Boss Club, and you're one of our all stars, actually, because you're a leader in our community, and I know that, especially having the clinical psychology background, that you know, you have a different perspective of the issues that are a lot of employers face. And so because you're a club member, we have a Facebook group community as well, where our members connect and do get a place to ask their questions. When I thought about what I wanted to talk with you about today, it kind of addresses this issue where there's these frustrations with maybe attendance issues or helping the employee get trained in in a quick manner, probably much more faster for the, the employer would like than what's actually happening with the employee, or there might be a lack of motivation or a lack of skills, or maybe even behavior issues that the employer just doesn't understand because they're different, right? Every single person is different from each other. And right. I think a lot of times too we just wish our employees could do the things like we do them. And it can be very frustrating for employers who are already stretched way too thin, who are wearing too many hats, who are control freaks. Right? I'm going to say I'm a control freak. I've had to learn how to let that stuff go, you know. So there's we all have a lot that we're juggling as an employer. And there are these frustrations that are common for a lot of us that are listening to this podcast, but you being the clinical psychologist, looking at at it from a different lens and you have some solutions and things for us to think about as employers. And so that's what we're going to dive into today. So my first question for you is like, what are some common mistakes that small business owners make when managing their employees and how can they avoid them?
1: I think one of the common mistakes I sometimes see like in the Pet Boss Club, when people are sharing some of the struggles that they're having, is this sense that all employees are the same. All employees maybe are just like potential junior versions of ourselves and that none of our employees might be bringing with them to work challenges. Mm-hmm. These could be learning challenges. It can be that maybe the person has ADHD. It could be that maybe they have some type of you know anxiety or depression, and they may not be forthcoming
0: with this. Yeah, you don't ask like, that stuff in an interview,
1: right? <laughs> and you can't ask about those things. And often people don't share those things about themselves until they feel more comfortable mm-hmm. with people and they feel like they're in some kind of a trusting relationship. But even if it's an employer relationship, that they're maybe going to self-disclose. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, in my line of work, that things like learning learning issues, and ADHD and anxiety, are maybe more prevalent than people know. Mm. In particular, I think what I often will I see people kind of complaining, especially during the Onboarding phase where employees aren't remembering, like they're teaching them all the stuff and they're not remembering they're not retaining it, yeah. They're not retaining it. And I always wonder like, how are they teaching it? Like, literally, are they having them read it? Are they giving them you know different things to read? Are they having them watch videos? That really, what is their method of instruction mm-hmm. and reading in particular? Most people are not good readers. They just aren't. Half the population is an average reader.
0: Yeah. And then I think a lot of us sit there and write all these long manuals. Oh, right. That's, <laughs> yeah. It's easy these for long... us, the employer, to get it yeah. all out of our head, type it and all then be up, like, Here's the manual. feel like we have every single thing covered. I mean, I'm guilty of that. I've been like, yeah. his, and you, read that it. was chapter two and this thing, you know, I, bullet point then, four. How can you not remember we, that?
1: And then when we read... um." there's sort of two levels of reading. There's reading the what's on the page, the contents, you know, the story, if you will, the information. Mm-hmm. And then there's reading between the lines. You know, when you sit down and you read a book, most people are going to remember the story. They're going to be able to tell you, you know, about characters or facts or plots. But then there's the reading between the lines, the metaphors, the, symbol, the things that you should be extracting on your own, that's a whole nother level of reading. So if in these manuals, there's an expectation that the person is going to both remember all of the contents yes. and then also apply some type of reasoning to extract something that's
0: not written, right? that's a lot. It is. Yeah, the The written is usually the policy and the procedure we want you to follow. Mm-hmm. However, when you're in the real world situation dealing with the customer or coworker or shipment or animal, Um, you we also want you to be very self-aware and think ahead common sense that comes up a lot that comes up a lot I don't that should Mm -hmm. be common sense and it's like Mm -hmm. and the person might still be in their first 30 or 45 days of even working there maybe less than some time as an employer our expectations are much higher so a person who might have reading challenges even
1: if they've not been diagnosed defaulting to reading everything I think can be challenging Mm -hmm. I think for people who maybe have been diagnosed, you know, ADHD, pretty much everyone thinks they have ADHD now. Like half my team tells me, like Elisa, you you have ADHD and you're not diagnosed yet. There is a difference between, you know, someone who's actually been formally evaluated and diagnosed versus someone who is self-diagnosed based on what they're seeing on social media and Google, versus if they can just get an ADHD prescription from their physician and it and it helps but a lot of people identify as, will say, I have ADHD. But really what they're saying is, is they have a hard time concentrating and they're very distracted. Right. And inattentiveness, inability to concentrate and distractibility can be brought on by a lot of things. For example, you just had a baby. Mm -hmm. You're a new mom. Mm -hmm. I suspect, that your ability to concentrate, pay attention, and not be distracted is being challenged. Yes. You see that in new parents all the time. New dads, oh my God, I can't tell you over the years how many new dads get referred to us to be assessed for ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk to them on the phone and then they tell me, well, we just had a baby and we have a toddler and I work and I'm like, I'm like it's life. Yeah. Give yourself some
0: grace. Yeah. Yeah,
1: (laughs) You have life. But all of that aside, a lot of people genuinely do have ADHD, which is Mm -hmm. going to interfere, which will also make learning during that onboarding process more challenging.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: In addition to just the inattentiveness and distractibility, often people who have ADHD have what's called Poor working memory. Their working memory isn't very good. Their working memory is the ability to hold information in your brain, do something with it, and then produce a result. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: like if I were to ask you to do a math problem in your head, you would have to use working memory to hold the information, solve the problem, and spit it back out. Mm -hmm. Our working memory is at play all the time. So even when we're reading, when you read... You have to be constant. You don't realize you're applying it, but you have to be reading the words, understanding the words, comprehending and moving on. People with ADHD, that can be very impaired. So when you think about some of that off the cuff information that you might relay during training, that could be an area of struggle. The other is slow processing speed. And the best way to light example for that is it's not so much cases now with computers have gotten better do you know how if you've got too many things open on your computer and everything slows down like your your rams your computer processing speed slows down Uh uh-huh that's what slow processing speed in the brain is like Mm. where the person's just not able to process the it's not that they're that their intelligence is slow It's just that the speed at which they can process the information is slow. And sometimes a person like this can come across as not understanding, not paying attention. But the reality is it's just. Mm -hmm. And so I do think sometimes employers, when they're in that teaching phase, onboarding phase, that it it may just be that. And there are Mm -hmm. things that you can do for someone like that, help, Mm -hmm. but they'll just write it off as they're not paying attention. or.
0: I don't know how smart they are and Mm -hmm. in fact it could just be it takes them longer right so what do you advise I mean if you're an employer who doesn't have a lot of time here you've just hired this person like what do what do you recommend for them to do I mean for something like slow processing speed whether it's ADHD or slow processing speed or
1: even if you're going to have an expectation for people to read a lot doing things in small chunks don't ask someone to Sit down for a full hour without any kind of a mental break, or or even getting up and walking around. to have to focus on something and learn. So mm-hmm. doing things in smaller chunks helps a lot. Being able to take a real, a true mental break. That doesn't mean a break like leave the go have a cigarette. Something. Yeah, right. But a mental break change. You know, it's funny when you read about Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's requires all of their people to do everything. In each shift, so you might spend an hour on the register, then you spend an hour putting merchandise out, then you spend an hour in the bath, undoing box. You know what I mean? Like,
0: yeah, it's like a circuit, a little circuit, like a workout. Yes.
1: So, in a way, and everybody, you know, you go to Trader Joe's, and don't you? Everyone always talks about how nice everyone is at Trader Joe's, right? Like, they have like good customer service. Everybody who works there always seems so happy. Well. If you've got that circuit, um, I think that that probably contributes to it. Yeah. So being able to change what you do, chunking information. This is going to sound, you know, I don't normally give people like nutrition advice, but our brains operate off of glucose. So think like, you know, complex carbohydrates, mm-hmm. things like that, good snack.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Having like snacks like that yeah. available and allowing a person, even if it's not like a yeah. full break, trying to go in the back room
0: mm-hmm.
1: and have a granola bar Yeah, it can really help to keep the brain fueled and not to, and for people with slow processing speed, this is really important.
0: Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up actually. Cause that is something where, when I just had my retail store, I didn't, and we were across the street from a grocery store and I like a subway. I mean, there were things to go do, but I, and I hadn't really actually had a lot of work experience outside of my own business. Cause I became self-employed at like 23. So I didn't have a lot of previous work experience at a places hadn't seen it. And even back then, I don't know that I would have seen this, but what we see a lot of now are, especially now that the doggy, I feel like I see a lot in the doggy daycare and the boarding facility world because their staff maybe stays overnight or longer. I don't know why there's a difference, but we see these like fully stocked staff break rooms, right? They've got all the food, the employer goes, maybe spends a few hundred dollars every week to stock it with drinks and different candy, or, I mean, maybe not candy because they want to keep them, right. um, you know, good energy, not high sugar highs, but, but having the snacks there that the employer pays for as a perk for them. I food. think that's a great, some places, if you expect an employee to just work for
1: hours yeah, yeah. and only let them maybe have a water bottle or they're yeah. not having water, it's not just a physical thing it really does it really is depleting to the brain so that's an that's yeah, something that's an easy one being able to do you know multimodal learning so not just reading but using
0: video video showing things that are hand,
1: mm-hmm. hands on mm-hmm. watching someone else do it
0: maybe discussion about it
1: having a conversation about what you're learning i know like over the years as a psychologist I've always had interns and similar to like the medical field, you know, people talk about like, watch one, do one, that that is such an easy formula for helping somebody to learn something. Watch someone else do it, do it yourself. And now you explain it to someone else. Mm -hmm. I love that. And that really is a way to get something that you want people to learn. Really get it ingrained.
0: Mm -hmm. So, When we talk about frustrations that employers might be having, a lot of it is that I feel like this training phase, right? We finally, if we finally get someone to show up for that interview, we finally get them to come to their first day. Now they're being trained and and it becomes frustrating for us. And so your suggestion is to really think about what our training method is, right? How are we uh, teaching our team members how to learn all of these things we need them to do and, and keeping it or having a variety of ways that we do that, whether it's reading video showing, okay? The second one is that, you know, people may have ADHD, whether it's been clinically diagnosed or self-diagnosed, but either way, most people have concentration problems and are distracted. And so you've given us some tips here on how to help the team be better with that. Like do things in smaller chunks, giving people mental breaks, and maybe even providing lots of great brain food and, uh, and beverages there. But when we think about maybe why someone isn't coming to work, um, as consistently as we need them to, or who is not as responsive to the feedback we provide them or that we want to be able to give them or maybe other behavior issues are showing up. What is there another like underlying issue that you feel like? I think one of the things that gets
1: overlooked the most is anxiety. Hmm. And I think that anybody, if you you just rewind back to your first day or your first week at a new job. Chances are your predominant feeling is going to be anxiety. Anxiety is one of the greatest barriers to learning. You see it with even dog trainers talk about how you can't, if a dog is in a fear state, you can't teach them a the trick. You, you know, it, it, it's incompatible. So anxiety, fear are incompatible being open to learning. So if you think of somebody who maybe they don't have to have a severe learning disorder, but maybe they read a little slower or they know that they have a harder time retaining information or sometimes they daydream and you're like, you know, welcome to whatever. Welcome to my pet store. Here's your manual. (laughs) Go and they're anxious and they're nervous. And now you're presenting them with all of this information that you want them to digest. And what's that going to do? It's just going to make them more anxious. Mm -hmm. And then anxiety makes you more distractible. And anxiety makes it harder for you to concentrate. So what happens is is you create this vicious cycle. A person's feeling anxious. You ask them to do something. It's going to be challenging. Maybe taps into some of these learning issues or attention issues that they're bringing to work and they try and it's frustrating. And so what happens now they're more anxious because they're not able to do what you're asking them, you know, what you're asking of. Yeah. And so
0: it's a vicious cycle. Yes. I mean, I can just see myself hovering over a newer employee at the point of sale system, Going over something that I, in my mind, I'm like, we've talked through this, but now they're in the scenario with the impatient customer in front of them. A line is forming. They can tell I'm, I I can just build the anxiety building for me, even thinking of the anxiety I'm probably
1: causing them. Imagine for a new employee what's happening. And then you think, you know, why are they late? Why are they calling in? Well, if you have someone where it's really bad, when we're in an anxious state and anxiety is sort of, you know, one bus stop along the way to fear, how do we respond to that? Kind of either with a, you know, fight, flight, or freeze response, right? So when people have anxiety triggered, some people may freeze and that's where you're just going to get the blank, like blank stare, they shut down and you're like, they just don't, you know, they're just disengaged. Yeah. yeah disengaged. Yeah. Fights. I'm going to argue with, you know, I'm going to argue because if we argue. Now, at least the attention isn't on. I can create distance between what your expectation is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Why is just tried, not even
0: showing up? <laughs> Sorry. I, I, yeah, I, fly, yeah, flight. Just not coming I, in for that shift. Didn't text you.
1: <laughs> Didn't yeah. text you. I quit.
0: I'm just out of here.
1: <laughs> I'm out of here. So anxiety and fear can be powerful things. And especially for somebody who's maybe does have some issues with, you know, yeah. learning, memory. Tension, executive functioning, things like that, there's a high comorbidity occurring together between those things and anxiety and depression. I think what a good strategy is rather than just kind of diving right in with what you need to know, is when if a person starts to kind of focus more high level, do what you need to do to get them to feel comfortable in your space with the other people who work there, knowing where things are. Um, Forget having to learn all the nutrition information and all of the ingredients, but really just kind of, again, when we started talking at the very beginning, we talked about camp being all about relationships. Try and build a relationship with the person. Try and kind of initiate them into your business in a way that they're that's not going to trigger the anxiety and to stay in that phase, you know, maybe at least their first week or two, like, yeah, you want you want them to be comfortable. If the a person right. who's comfortable and not anxious, they're going to be the most open to learning,
0: which makes me think about them being able to trust you, trust the environment and trust is the foundation of a, like every relationship. Mm-hmm. So when they are learning and have a question, if they've become more comfortable and have these relationships already starting, Mm -hmm. they are going to have more confidence to actually Mm -hmm. say, I don't understand. Or can I, can you review that again with me? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, and build it in, you
1: know, you know, get, you know, a new hire, like a cute journal or something when they start. I mean, I do this with my interns. I actually require them to have a notebook with them at all (laughs) times. I mean, Which is like, write down everything I say. (laughs) Also, in the time that you're away from me, I want you to write down any questions that come up. And then I make sure in those early weeks that we are meeting very regularly, multiple times a week to go through their questions. And I say to them, you're going to have questions. I'd be concerned if you didn't, <laughs> right? Okay, so, you know, from the beginning, yes, I set the tone. Know, mm-hmm. the, so, the- it's okay. It's okay. I'd rather have you ask, and then here's a way to help you so you you don't forget what you're going to eat. The question that you have.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's really important to 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 let them know that it's okay to ask questions. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know their previous history with a previous employer or a parent or a teacher or any of that, and how when they did have questions or did something wrong, how that and setting aside a, time, you know,
1: I think that where I think owners get frazzled is that person might come and ask you a question at the wrong yeah the wrong time the wrong time, and then we have the wrong reaction. <laughs> right. So you can prevent that by when they start actually scheduling in time to meet with them one-on-one. maybe be for 15 minutes, I have, you know, to go over their questions. So that way you're in a good space to, to be helpful.
0: Yeah. And I know that that can all be, I know that the listener's going, well, how am I, Lisa, how am I ever going to find time for all this? You know, but... It'll save you time in the long run. It saves you time and money in the long run. Hiring people is one of the most expensive pieces of our business because of all the time it has to go into you know trying to find the team member and then this onboarding process, the further training, the investment in them over time and that on you know on the floor knowledge they gain over time and keeping that employee and to do that over and over and over again is a huge expense to the business. So you almost can't afford not to make the time.
1: I also think teaching them how to respond when they don't know. I used to work at a at a sporting goods store and then a camping store. So many departments, it was impossible to know every sport. We were just taught to say to the customer, either I don't know, but so and so who's working does. Let me go get them, or if you didn't have someone else working, I don't know. I will get you that answer. Can I take down your name and number? And I will. I will. Follow up because it's hard for people to say, I don't know. And again, that triggers, especially if you're in anxiety and maybe feeling mm-hmm. embarrassed, mm-hmm. letting them know what to say. I think as a customer, I would value that rather than either getting
0: misinformation or sort of a sheepish no.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I like to tell people ahead of time too, when they start working with me that I'm like, I'm a very direct person. I kind of really tell them how I am. I'm like, I'm, I can be very direct and it might come across like I'm being firm or mean, but I'm not. It's just how I communicate. But my number one goal is that I want you to feel comfortable here. I want you to understand, and I will do everything in my power to set you up for success. Mm-hmm. My communication sometimes sometimes can be pretty aggressive and direct. Maybe that's the Aries in me. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I always tell my new people, my new staff, my new interns, I have like a short list of like my Elisa's yeah. pet peeves. Yeah. Like, I've like, if you really want to like get me going and make yeah. me angry, here's the short list. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I mean, it's good. Over, I mean, communication is never a bad thing. Over communicate, mm-hmm. you know, either how, you know, how you um, mm-hmm. like to train and learn. But at the underlying foundation I think of everything I've heard you say is that. We need to take the proper time with the people in our businesses to really set ourselves and them up for success. Elisa, I've taken pages and pages of notes here. <laughs> I have. And I know I'm going to go back and listen to this episode multiple times. I just love, and I know our members love having you in the Pet Boss Club and in our community. And I, I'm passionate. My my mission, I feel like, on this planet is to help as many small business owners as I can, and so it's it's my passion. And I really want to take the opportunity to allow you to be able to share why you're a Pet Boss Club member and why you believe that other people really should join our community and be part of the Pet Boss Club too. I mean, I get. I think as I'm talking, there's like the same theme keeps coming
1: up with everything I do, and it's the people and it's the relationships and the Connections. There's for sure more content than any pet business (laughs) owner could ever want in the portal. And I suspect I've maybe looked at 10% of the content. To me, the real treasure is the connections that I've made with other pet business owners, the ability to be able to just share a struggle, share a win, get feedback from people. That to me has been priceless and just gain a lot of inspiration seeing what other pet business owners are doing as they share. Mm-hmm. Um whether it's events, activities, products, resources, other professionals that you might need, sources for things. That to me has been that's why I stick around.
0: Right, right. I love it. And I love to also ask our guests on this podcast episode what bossing their business means to you. Well I will credit this something that I learned
1: early in Pet Boss Club, and that is having good processes and systems in place so that, not that your business runs itself, but maybe the aspects of your business that you don't love running as much run themselves, which then frees you up for the parts of the business that you love and are most passionate about. So for me, I like enjoying myself at camp. I like being with the dogs, being with the people, doing the activities. And it wasn't until I had the right processes and systems in place that it really freed me up to. People have commented on it that um these last few years, how much more relaxed I seem at camp, mm-hmm. I'm and how present, much more, yeah, 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 and how much more I'm enjoying camp, mm-hmm. and it's because I put these things in place has allowed that more of the joyous part be free
0: yeah that freedom part i love it i love it well i'm so happy for you to have that experience now in your business i think that's a goal for all of us is to be able to yeah relinquish the things we don't love and and do more of what we do love right elisa thank you so much for being here today it's been a pleasure Thank you for
1: having me it's always nice to
0: talk with you hear this thank you for tuning in to the boss your business podcast by pep boss nation your go-to resource for pet business owners and pet industry professionals. If you found value in today's episode, please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platform, like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so many others. Your subscription, which is totally free to this podcast, ensures that you never miss an episode packed with insights and tips and stories and strategies to help your pet business grow. And I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave us a review and rate the podcast because your feedback means a lot to what you love most about the show and it helps others in the pet industry discover this resource. And if you know somebody who could benefit from the information that we share here, don't keep it a secret. Please consider sharing it with them. We're better together and we can help build a thriving community of pet business owners and professionals in so many local communities. And if you want more, including links to the show notes or exclusive freebies and content that we provide, then make sure you visit petboss.com. That's where we have all kinds of goodies for you to grow your pet business and hang out with us on social too. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all by visiting Pet Boss Nation. Once again, thanks so much for being part of our Pet Boss community. Until next time, keep bossing your business.